Good morning. This is your favorite crew, The Grapevine, here on KAZI 88.7. I'm your girl, Nikki Wooding, and my man, Giannis Banks, is here. How are you doing, sir? Oh, um, I'm, I'm doing all right. That wasn't convincing. Yeah. What? I don't know. I'm good. Okay, okay. Well, I hope everyone that hears my voice, of course, here in Austin, and I know that we have listeners in other states, But there was a tornado and a horrible storm that went through Texas. I shouldn't say a tornado. There were a bunch of tornadoes that went through Texas, Oklahoma, seems Louisiana, and it's just rolling across the United States. We had one close by in Round Rock that hit really, really bad out there. Mm -hmm. I think Hudo, Hudo, help me, Hudo. Yep. Okay, thank you. Hudo. Shout out to Hutto. But we also want to send our love out there because I think they had a pretty bad tornado that hit out there too. Mm -hmm. There was hail. Oh my goodness. It was loud as hail. (laughs) I had to finish it. I wanted to say it so bad. Okay. I just hope everybody is okay. Everybody is checked on their loved ones and heard back and everything. You experienced some of it too because it was a pretty big storm. Yeah, just some some rain and some thunder and lightning. I know the tornado and, and whatnot moved east. So um, right. I, I think everybody's seen the video of the guy in Elgin and mm-hmm. the red truck. That Did you see it? Mm-hmm. Or? The video with the red truck? No, I don't. Yeah. I think I missed that one. Okay, so this is the one where the truck was on the side and the tornado just kind of spinning around on the ground what? Uh, while the guy was in it. And then it, I guess he got flipped over on his tires and he drove off. And I saw somebody who helped him said, you know, he was shocked and shaken and understandably so. So the weather was bad. It's moved east. Yeah, oh, it hit New Orleans. Hit New Orleans. Orleans. It hit pretty bad. It hit over the Ninth Ward area. Mm-hmm. They thought uh was going toward Six Flags area over there mm-hmm. as well. Jesus, this storm is huge because I think it's like it merged of two storms. Right. Because one was already coming that I think that we got from us to Dallas. And then one came off the coast from like kind of the Brownsville area. And that made its way up as well through San Antonio and Houston. They got hit. Mm-hmm. I think the one from Dallas hit Jackson, Mississippi. Ah. Jackson had quite a few tornadoes that hit actually. When last I was looking at the chart, mm-hmm. easily had five or six tornadoes that hit Jackson in the Jackson. I was a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, about eight or so tornadoes in the Jackson, Mississippi area. It's crazy storm, crazy way to start the week. Right, right. Uh, thankfully, we only had a few injuries over here in Central Texas. Hadn't seen any deaths. I think I did see a death in New Orleans from this storm. Very strong winds, and it was just tragic to see all that play out and all that happened. And folks on the overpath and at the Walmart off of 35 and 45, and just how stuff was destroyed over there and houses that were destroyed. Right. It, it was rough um, just to see, and, you know, thankfully that folks. Didn't lose life here, once again, in Central Texas, but a lot of damage. And I know they have declared a disaster. The governor has come out and declared it uh, so to help folks get some aid that they need. So Right, right. And I think there's a couple of shelters that are in place in Round Rock. Also, of course, in the other affected areas. So if you are hearing the sound of our voice and are looking for resources, do check on your city websites and local shelters because I know we at my daughter's elementary have already started can drives and everything else so we're looking to get resources out there as soon as possible Mm -hmm. also 
you know, away from the storm. Let's go all the way to Florida because it had to do with Texas and Florida. I was like, oh, goodness, what's going on now? Disney is apologizing for a Texas team performing at one of their events. Supposedly, there's a widely circulated video of Port Natchez Groves High School. Their team mascot is called the Indians, and he is a man wearing headdress, and their chant is scalp them, Indians, scalp them. Well, of course, that was deemed derogatory by the Native American that saw the video and from the rhetoric that they have been, you know, trying to educate people about for the past, I don't know how many years now. The Ojibwe, their tribal attorney, she tweeted out, shame on Disney for hosting this. But the team is like, look, we've been at this parade for eight years now. Disney has never had a problem with it for eight years. They're, of course, apologizing for them making these statements. They said through their process, there was no time where they had to provide any video of their performances. There was no audition tape. So they don't know why this was an issue with Disney this time around. And, of course... stating that, hey, if the tribal attorney had never said anything and there was no backlash, would Disney have even apologized in the first place? So it's kind of putting them in the hot seat. I think that the team has already received numerous requests to change their mascot, which they have failed to do to date. Mm -hmm. But it's just interesting that Disney is taking a stance they are in the hot seat because of their silence during the Don't Say Gay Bill that recently passed in Florida. I just think that it's interesting that they're apologizing now and they've been there all this time doing the same thing. Sure. I think this ties in with you have professional sports teams that have changed away from having Native American mascots. And you know, the Cleveland Indians, I forget what they've changed their name to now, but that was one of them. Changed their mascot and the whole nine. You have now the Washington Commanders changed their mascot and name. And so I, I think it's probably been said before, but just didn't get a lot of attention. It may very well have. Maybe it hasn't. But I think we're at a, a point in the climate, especially coming off COVID when stuff hasn't happened for past couple years. And this is starting back up now where it's just highlighted as we're coming out and boom, this is what you're doing. It's been a hot button issue for a while. Well, yeah, because I mean, the Cherokee Nation has reached out to the school district and the board Mm -hmm. in the past several years, asking them to cease using their quote unquote offensive imaginary chanting symbolism and other practices in their school tradition. And they've done nothing. So maybe is this a way of escalating things to get them to go ahead and change that? Very well could be. I know there's a high school in Houston, I believe, a few years back that changed their mascot and logo. And so uh, this very well could be. We know how folks in Texas can be stubborn Mm -hmm. and dig their boots in the ground uh-huh. and but you know this is just the thing of oh disney you can't ha- keep having them coming back I, I think it's what they were getting at they don't want to change their name they shouldn't be honored or paraded about in this parade uh-huh. with getting this attention when you know they're telling them this is offensive the chant is offensive the whole nine so well, again disney they did say that disney asked for a contest tape which only showed they saw their uniforms they saw their team of course that wanted to be on there so it's is Disney responsible for bringing them on to this 
parade in this platform after even seeing what they saw from just their uniforms and seeing they were the Indians. And it's a quick Google search to go to the team's website to see what their mascot looks like. Is Disney failing to do their due diligence is what I mean. According to the school district, they've performed at Disney for a few years now. Correct. So, so that just makes it even worse. So it's harder to say that they didn't do the due diligence because they saw it, right? Exactly. So I, I wouldn't say they didn't do their due diligence. It's just that the sensitivity level to this issue and I think recognizing it hasn't been where it is currently. And mm-hmm. that tipped off with the sports teams, the professional sports team saying we're going to change our logos. Of course, that came from the summer of George Floyd, right? It's where the sports team, everybody trying to figure out something we can do. Mm-hmm. That's what went with them. That's what they did. But since then, we've kind of been locked down and I don't believe this parade or whatever has happened in Disney for a couple of years now. So here it is, their first time rolling it out and this happened, then boom, you have this attention on it because folks are still in a hyper vigilant phase and they're noticing things. And yeah, this is probably something that Disney has ignored for a few years as with those sports teams and other schools and other places. And now the climate is as such where that's not the best thing to do. Right, right. Well, I don't know. We'll see how Disney handles this. They have a lot they are dealing with from a PR standpoint right now. And of course, let's see how the school handles this because they are requesting them to change that mascot and their chants and things of that nature. So I think that between Disney and the school, I think that we're all watching to see what that response will be. Should they go ahead and change things, both Disney and the school? Anyway, let's take it around the world. We have a war still going on in Ukraine mm-hmm. between Ukraine and Russia. I believe that Russia and Zelensky, President Zelensky, they met recently to talk about the war and reaching a peace agreement. I guess from the attacks that are all happening currently and that we are all watching on our different media, mm-hmm. we can see that that peace talk didn't produce much. The way that it's being handled around the world, as far as the U.S. companies have cut off their business and commerce with Russia and have affected their ability to bring in money and proceeds for their artillery and armory for the and weaponry for this war. The effects of that is that Russian soldiers are having a low morale and even getting frostbitten because they're removing them from the front line right now, them being soldiers from the front line because of frostbite due to lack of warm clothing. And also as far as like um, some of their fuel that they need mm-hmm. for their tanks and stuff like that, they don't have it. Right. They don't even have enough food either. Right, the number one tank manufacturing company in Russia has stopped building tanks because of the lack of resources and more than likely that's due to the sanctions that were put mm-hmm. onto the country. Right. I don't know if you remember we had talked earlier about why it's hard to invade Russia and part of that was the climate, right? Mm-hmm. The, the weather. Even though we have we're in a better place with technology, mother nature is still one of them things that's hard to defeat and beat, especially if you're going to be out there for a very long time. You have even now the spokesperson for the Kremlin for, you know, Putin. He came out and said that Nuclear weapons are not necessarily off the table. Mm-hmm. If they feel like somebody's endangering them, whether it's with nuclear or traditional weapons, they're not going to say they won't fire any. Right. Uh, I think which is why you see the hesitance to do some of the air blocks and whatnot. But that's the biggest fear that everybody has, right? We go into this nuclear war. Yeah, most folks are saying this is a blow to Russia's army, Russia's right. ego, Putin's ego, mm-hmm. because they are supposed to be known for having this massive 
military and mighty military. Mm -hmm. And here they are struggling to take over this little country, which isn't that little Mm -hmm. in the grand scheme of things, right? But definitely didn't have the weapons and the soldiers that Russia had. Mm -hmm. And so you have this country that's holding them back. And even have proclaimed some areas. Yeah, I can understand that you have troop morale being low because it makes you wonder how many of them really want to be there and doing this. Mm -hmm. Then you add on that things are not going as planned because I'm sure they probably told them, it won't be long. We'll be here a week or two. Bada boom, bada bing. We out. Right. And how many weeks has it been now? Right. So I can understand them being like, yo, we're not supposed to be here this long. We're losing friends and whatnot because of this war with... Ukraine and for what at this point right you know I have my documentary I have one Citizen K it's on Prime Video and it talks about actually how oligarchs a former oligarch he actually ran against Putin and he had the money the funding in order to run against him but he ended up being put in jail he was released and used his life to commit to getting the truth to Russians and rallying people to push against Putin and push against the propaganda so it's like kind of an interesting perspective but of course it's sad because these soldiers are out here on the front line fighting but then you have the propaganda that's being fed to their friends and family that they're sacrificing in the name of their country Mm -hmm. so putting those two worlds together it's just a a messy mixing pot of chaos that's going on and even from the perspective of the black refugees right now that are trying to get out of the country because recently the NAACP and the National Urban League signed a letter to the president of the European Union Mm -hmm. calling for fair and humane treatment for all just to allow them in the country to get because there are African students that are there in Ukraine and they're just trying to get out Right. and we did speak with Dr. Ashby about this as well. One student from Ghana described that they consider white people first, then Indian people, Arabic people, before black people. Mm -hmm. They're being left off at train stations. People won't let them in at all, whether it's at the border or even finding refuge. Once they cross the border, they're just asking for help just to help welcome them in some capacity. How can the government be a part of the conversation of more diversity and understanding a different culture. Yeah, uh, this plays into the international feeling, the national feeling of wanting to help Ukraine and the people of Ukraine. And, you know, folks are opening doors and opening their arms and wanting to help them out and what have you. But if you're ignoring certain subgroups or certain populations who are in Ukraine and not giving them that same help, that's a problem, right? You can't, and I know they've, Ukrainian officials have made some terrible comments as well about it, or you heard other news stations, news channels over there in Europe saying, you know, whoever would have thought we were seeing some blonde hair blue eyes refugees was like well refugees come of all races colors places right mm-hmm. it's not just from countries where people have dark skin yeah this is something that i think has to be addressed not tomorrow not in the future but like immediately as this yeah. is still going on to make yeah. sure that these people are getting the same treatment as the rest who are fleeing this war in country but it ties into that history of how in particular Africans black people have been treated when they flee a country that's going through some kind of turmoil they're always looked at as lesser when they get, go somewhere or even trying to get there right Right. nothing's changed with, it, with that narrative and that's a problem of folks wanting to help 
the country and do so much for the country and understandably so right we get why people are saying yes help this country out because of what's happening however you cannot ignore the people all the people leaving the country and saying we're only going to help out this select few that look a certain way and if we got space because yes there were stories that even when there was space on trains they weren't letting black people get on the trains and so that's just problematic all the way around well, I guess I would consider this a part of our black excellence a little bit. Shout out to the Pirates at Hampton University. They're offering free room and board to Ukrainian students this summer. The president of Hampton University, Mr. Harvey, he reached out to the U.S. ambassador of Ukraine to see how the university can help. He has said that the faculty and staff has been disheartened, of course, by what they have heard and have seen on media. And for students who are simply studying in Ukraine, they can come to Hampton University. Everything from tuition, housing, and meals will be co- completely covered. Yeah, I, I hope it's not just he said Ukrainian students, but I hope that includes I would think the it would African students and, and well. others who were studying there who may not be of Ukrainian descent, right? Well, they well, he did say students who were simply studying in Ukraine. Okay, so I guess he is saying that students that are probably of diverse ethnicities. They just happen to be in Ukraine studying. But it is 50 to 100 students. Right. And they're not the only college that's doing that. So there's other colleges that are doing this as well. So there wouldn't be a groundswell, per se, of a whole bunch of people trying to get into Hampton. There will be some space for it to be spread out to other schools. And once again, that's nice that they're doing that and great. But hopefully they can use some of that influence as well to make sure that those people of color, black folks, and all the folks over there who be in of mistreated or treating as second, third, fourth class citizens are being treated fairly. Right. And also within HBCU News, remember the the bomb threats that were happening mm-hmm. last month? And I, I think one, some of them carried on to this month as well, but mainly January and February that were happening across the country. Vice President Kamala Harris announced that the HBCUs that have experienced these threats are now eligible for grant funding under the Project School Emergency Response to Violence Program from the Department of Education to enhance campus security and provide mental health resources. So the awards typically range between $50,000 to $150,000 per school. They noted that because of these threats to HBCUs, learning has been disrupted, critical resources have been diverted to emergency response, and there has been an increased burden on already overwhelmed campus mental health systems. That's great. Uh, I hope these schools do the work and uh, apply for these grants. Mm-hmm. And this money can help those students who have been impacted in only ways you can imagine to now. That can impact your studies right. and, and the whole nine. So right. I, I'm hoping uh, that it will go to a good use. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kudos to the Department of Education and Vice President Harris for, for announcing this and putting this stuff into action. And, you know, let's make sure these colleges get the money and it's used in the right way. You know, I, I hope that the schools are able to provide the services that these students will need with this money and and the help they will need with the money. Right. Well, do we have a little bit of time for a legal minute real quick? Sure. (laughs) Okay. Well, on Monday, a jury convicted a Tennessee man in the slang of former NBA player Lorenzen Wright. He was found 12 years ago in his hometown in Memphis. So the jury deliberated for about two hours before found Billy Ray Turner guilty of first-degree murder, attempted murder and conspiracy in the death of Wright. Wright did play 13 seasons in the NBA before he retired after the 2008-2009 season. If you recall, this 
case happened 12 years ago. They, the prosecutors allege that Wright's ex-wife, Sharia Wright, masterminded a plan to kill her ex-husband and recruited Turner and her cousin, Jimmy Martin, to help her. They were indicted back in December 2017, more than seven years after Lorenzo Wright was killed. She, being Sharia Wright, entered a guilty plea to facilitation of murder in July 2019 and was sentenced to 30 years in prison. So Turner was a landscaper and knew Sharia Wright from church, and they had a secret romantic relationship going on. Mm-hmm. Martin, again, that was her cousin, was actually facing charges of killing his girlfriend and said his cousin helped pay part of his legal fees. So he was convicted and he's currently serving prison time in that case. And he received immunity from prosecution in the right case, I guess, for his testimony. Can you believe 12 years for this family to finally get closure? Yeah, 12 years of having to deal with this stupidity. Correct. This is a long time. One thing I've always heard from law school and even beyond is justice is slow. Yeah. Wow. For this family, Lorenzen writes family. Of course, we send our condolences to them because, you know, like I said, they've been grieving this loss for now 12 years, just trying to get closure. And finally, on Monday, they did. So Google is being sued for discrimination against their black employees. So civil rights attorney Ben Crump, he filed a racial discrimination lawsuit against Google this week, claiming there's been a pattern of racial discrimination against minority employees. He says at a press conference on Monday that former Google employees came for their dream job that turned out to be a nightmare because of bigoted, discriminatory, racist culture that exists within Google. The lawsuit does allege a pattern and practice of racial discrimination that was filed on behalf of April Curley and former and current black employees at Google. Curley specifically said that she was unlawfully terminated from her position after her manager said that she was creating a report on Google's discriminatory practices. She basically was trying to sound the alarm from what Mr. Crump says and was retaliated against the victims of the racist culture that exists in Google, quote unquote. Another tech company has some more problems. Right. Right. And I think he even said that the person was trying to bring the attention to Google to fix and they fired her. Is that correct? Yeah. So she was making a gathering information to make a report to bring to Google Mm -hmm. and they, the managers found out about it and they used, um, they were basically saying that she was terminated because of that. Trying to help you fix your problems. Right. You're just adding to your problems. (laughs) Right. Pretty much. You proved my point. Right. Google, we know you're here in Austin, but you got to do better than that, right? If these allegations are true, we will say that because you right. haven't been found. Right. So if they're true, definitely have to do better. We know there's already been a shortage or lack thereof, black mm-hmm. people and mm-hmm. the tech field. Right. And so you, know, you have somebody trying to voice their concerns and help you do better. You would think you would listen if this stuff is true. So Right. I think what's interesting about this is not only is it former employees, but it's current black employees as well. That's a part of this lawsuit. And you know, like just during South by Southwest, I went to an event that was about diversity, equity, and inclusion, mm-hmm. specifically in the legal profession. One big thing I think that we look over as far as the inclusion piece is retention, making sure that one, black people have the resources while they're on the job, that managers are actually training them right. to make sure they understand the job, and also making sure they feel included in being a part of that employee and um, building up their morale as an employee. I think that those are some other factors that go beyond just hiring is how do we maintain and retain these black employees as well. 
Right. Well, even part of that, I think the third part to what you were saying is also promotion, right? It's one thing to be trained and you're there, but you can never move up with it. Correct. But you're training others how to do something and others are moving up or higher in a higher position than you. You can never move forward. Right. That's another part of retaining because why do somebody want to stay at a spot where they're going to just basically stay in that same position or maybe a position more for the next 10, 15 years, right? Mm -hmm. So I think part of that is having that pipeline and that mentoring and that tutoring of of, of really mentoring and showing folks this is how you can move forward. This is who you need to know because Look, we, we know that a, a lot of this stuff, it's always about who you know, not what you know. Mm. And so if you're not putting them in the right places and the right spaces and meeting the right people, it's going to be harder for them to move up. It's not impossible, but it's definitely harder. And you can always see the favorites of some of the higher ups with who goes what, who's always talked about, who's shown around. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I think it's similar to what you're seeing in the NFL, right? Mm-hmm. You hire who you relate to who you like sometimes who looks like you it's it's that thing of if you're not in that room you're not in those circles you're not given that opportunity it's harder to move forward or even wanting to stay within that company right we're gonna jump into some confirmation hearings because you know why not why not right so if you've been living under a rock um (laughs) judge katanji brown jackson she is currently in nomination for the supreme court justice if she is confirmed she will begin in october of this year she has had a couple of days of grueling questioning from the Senate Judiciary Committee. Some of the topics that she's had to explore into, if you will, was the size of the Supreme Court, critical race theory, dark money, the length of sentences that she's handed down in child pornography cases, including some books, whether they are appropriate or inappropriate for children, her law school law review articles Mm -hmm. that she's written, and also some of her private practice representation as well. It's been interesting to say the least. There's been some grandstanding. It's always grandstanding. (laughs) To say the least about some of these senators who've been questioning her, specifically some of the Republican senators that have been uh, questioning her. They have been upset about previous confirmation hearings and have made this an opportunity to either, I don't know, some some people say retaliate and some people say to voice their concerns from their nominees. Yeah, I don't know how they can be upset or trying to retaliate from the previous hearings because they just had one for her, what, like last year or so? Correct. Well, not her previous hearings. I'm just saying previous Uh, is hearing for the U.S. Supreme Court nominees. Got you. Like Kavanaugh, Barrett, and uh, you have, was Gorge? Was he, I think he was. He was. Right. Yep. Right. So basically from those hearings. If you look at her qualifications. Right. It's a layup. She would be the most qualified Supreme Court justice on the panel. Right. When it comes to career and education. Mm-hmm. Right. She's been a court of appeals judge, a district judge, been in the sentencing commission, a public defender, Supreme Court clerk. So, you know, if you want the Ivy League school, she got that too. Mm-hmm. So she got the boxes checked. Nobody else comes even close. Well, Briar came close, and that's the one she's re- replacing, right? Mm-hmm. The rest of them, it's not even close of being qualified for this role and for this institution. So right. uh, it is, and it has been interesting to see the line of questioning and the grandstanding. Of course, you have folks on this committee who have presidential aspirations. Right. 
And a lot of these questions and grandstanding is tying into those aspirations where it's not even a lot about her, more mm-hmm. about them. We and see. How I can be seen, mm-hmm. how I can score brownie points. Right. That's really what it's all about. I mean, when you see Ted Cruz trying to tie CRT to her, it's funny because supposedly the Republicans, they had came out and said, we're not going to do anything racist or try to tie anything racist to her. We want to just do questions on the facts. And that same day, the RNC tweeted out that terrible picture of her saying she shouldn't be known mm-hmm. by her initials, but instead CRT. And a lot of folks feel like, a lot of experts feel like she's being asked these critical race theory questions simply because she's, she's black. black. Right. And I can see it because that has nothing to do with it. And she's done a great job, even though you can see her frustrations many times. Right. Deep breaths, sighing, pausing before she speaks, because clearly I'm sure she wanted to cuss some of them out. But you can see how she's composed and how she couldn't act like Kavanaugh did with his emotional breakdown and crying and whatnot. She isn't afforded that luxury. So right. I think she's handled herself you know, very well and given great answers. I think the only time that she's basically had a facial reaction to things has been Ted Cruz's critical race theory and his question about the book, that children's book that he had, that whether it was appropriate or something like that. Right. I I mean, it was kind of off the wall. And I mean... A few other faces I saw, too, to some other sensitive questions, but yeah. She was also grilled about her previous practice, private practice and role as a public defender. I guess she wrote a amicus brief, which is basically sending a letter to the court, even though you are not a party to the case. Mm -hmm. Just how do you support either side's position or what the judge should do in this case. So she did that on behalf of her client and they are like picking apart her brief and saying hey this is what you believe well you have to remember that every client that attorney has is afforded the right to have diligent advocacy on their behalf right and so that means that we have to use language to ensure that their position is conveyed Mm -hmm. not necessarily how we feel but how can we best articulate how they feel as our client so that was really interesting and they even went into well like i said her law review article I'm just like, are we really going back to law review? Imagine someone taking an article from back when you were in undergrad and then using it against you later, 20 years down the line. And it's just like your your thinking has changed, has developed. If you think about it from a law review perspective, this is before you even practice law. You're still in law school. You haven't even got a JD yet. My thing is once you get into the practice of law, your viewpoints do change. But I wonder if this is going to affect law students down the line to say, do I really want to join law review? Do I want to be a part of this? Because it can be used against me as I grow into the practice, emphasis again on the word practice, of law. <laughs> right. Well, I think she did a good job with that because she said it didn't reflect her viewpoints at all. She was writing it as any law student would do. Just, you know, analysis. It was a new analysis and was trying to get, you know, notice and what have you. And she was just writing an analysis about it, not saying how she felt one way or the other. Right. Here's the examination of it. So I think that's clear out of just wasn't her thought yes they they kept harping on it because it makes great talking points for fox news and other folks to 
say, look how tough they are on her and they're holding her to the fire when in reality, she did a great job of answering and not answering. Right. She and did an awesome job of Sticking that. to the facts. Lindsey Graham coming off with her religion. What's her religion? I know. And trying to do a religion test, even though there is no religion test to be on the Supreme Court or any, you know, court-appointed uh, position. The questions was weird. The whole stuff was awkward. He's a, one of those who has presidential aspirations. The whole line of questioning to her was weird and just awkward. Many times you felt for her because it was unnecessarily long grandstanding. Right. They got their 30 minutes to ask questions. I get it. I think you can see some of her frustration too as when they ask her questions and she's explaining it away. It's not what they want to hear where they try to force her to be like, what's well, a yes or no question? She's like, right. No, it's not that simple. There's that frustration so they cut her off or stop. Well, I only got so much time. Right. Well, you asked me a question though. <laughs> right. I get the answer, don't I? Correct. Um, I think they tried to compare it to some of their uh, previous nominees. Mm -hmm. There was some judicial filibustering, if you will, to answering the questions. She wasn't doing that because she was talking about the issue that, or the question they had, her perspective, and giving them the whole thing about it. Not just a quick snip from the transcript. Did you say this? Well, here's what this was. Right. She wasn't filibustering. She actually was answering the question that you asked. Right. But you didn't like how the direction it was going or you couldn't pinhole or pigeonhole her and back her up into a corner. So you wanted to pivot and pivot and pivot because you just want to score talking points so you can probably send your fundraiser email out about this, how you're tough on CRT and pro cop or whatever, whatever. Right. And also consider the fact that this was 13 hours, right? One one day hearing was 13 hours. Imagine sitting there for 13 hours being grilled by a committee of senators. I mean, even for one senator, Holly from mm -hmm. Missouri, he was questioning her about child pornography and her sentencing against those that were alleged or convicted of the crime. Right. And one thing about it, she says that, look, she basically stayed within the guidelines that were handed down from Congress. And he was asking her, how come you've been so light? And how come you sentenced this person this much time and another person a, a, another amount of time? And she kind of threw it back to him like, because this is what you told me were the guidelines from Congress. Congress created how long the court should sentence a person convicted of child pornography. She stayed in those guidelines. Right. Now, is it at the discretion of the court of where we are with those guidelines and where they feel that particular person, how long they should be sentenced? Yes. But like she said, if you look at various judges, they have varying sentencing, just like her. And if you have an issue with that, I think that's more, again, punning back to the Congress. Y'all go fix it, right, you know? Well, and I think they kept asking, like you were saying earlier, grandstanding and asking her questions that, again, really point to themselves as the solution, not her. Yeah, I, I think with him, if you remember, there was... The picture of him leaving the Capitol after the riot. And he's giving like a fist bump of support. Okay, we're taking this to January 6th. Right, the January okay. 6th riot. There's a picture of him basically encouraging the rioters. Okay. Now, he has come out and asked people to stop using that picture of him. But it's what he was doing. Mm -hmm. Of him going to a fist of solidarity to what they were doing. Of course, he, he thinks nothing wrong basically happened. So, his judgment is clouded in itself. And I think he was the one that asked her, like, you know, well, which Congress hasn't done anything? And she's better than me because I've been like, fool, any 
any of them since this date had an opportunity to clarify whatever you want to be clarified or change whatever you want change and y'all have done nothing so this cannot all of a sudden become an issue or concern to you right when you are the person you are in position to make law right change law right and you've done none of the above mind you you had a majority for a few years with trump you was doing whatever you wanted right if you wanted this you could have done it instead you wanted to give tax cuts to rich and that's what y'all decided but he's another one who has presidential aspirations and i think he would try to pick up some of the trump crowd to get behind him of course well because i think that they're correlating his questioning about child pornography to some QAnon theories that are going on as well. Mm -hmm. So I think that, like you just said, he's appealing to that base that he knows already resides within the Trump base that are going along with the, whether it's the Pizzagate and all the other theories that are going on with QAnon. I want to shout out Johnny and Ellery Brown. Those are Judge Katanji Brown Jackson's parents. They have been sitting front row mm -hmm. during this confirmation hearing. You can tell that they are just glowing, just proud of their daughter, have seen just the the opportunity and the growth, not only within their probably their daughter, but I guess as a nation as a whole, because she was talking about during the confirmation hearing right. that she is like one generation away from segregation in schools, right. that just seeing the difference of how her parents were raised and the opportunities that she's been afforded in her lifetime has been just tremendous. Right. And not saying at all that she is the pillar or the flag that say we have overcome because of course there are still things going on which we just discussed in the legal minute of, uh, a little while ago. But I just think that it is just uh, hopefully a moment that black girls and black women can see themselves in a bigger role within our society. Yeah. Uh, speaking of her parents. Okay. When Senator Blackburn from Tennessee was asking her those questions or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, and before she brought up her parents and how proud they must be of her and this, that, and the third, and they cut to the parents. The look on their faces, though, what was priceless to me because I'm seeing their faces. They won't smile when that woman was talking about them. Like, yo, save your fake accolades, right? Correct. Don't, no, don't even. The, yeah, especially Pop's face. Pop's had a look on his face like, man, listen. Mm-hmm. Yo. So, so what to expect next? So that was, we've had a couple of days of the senator's questions. So they usually have two, three days of questioning. And then on day four, the American Bar Association, their standing committee on the judiciary, they have a tradition of offering an independent, nonpartisan peer evaluation of a nominee's qualifications. So they'll be able to provide that on day four. Also, outside groups will offer their perspective. For instance, she's been endorsed by the International Association of Chief of Police and the Fraternal Order of Police. I think that this confirmation hearing should be over before their scheduled break, which happens on April 11th. Once the hearings have concluded, the full Senate is expected to vote. Right, and the, and the Senate should vote before that April 11th right. break as well. So this confirmation hearing will, will be clear, and then they'll go to the Senate floor. The question remains to see, will there be any Republicans that support her? Like she had three last time mm -hmm. who did. 
Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's always the two wild cards that are in the Democratic side as well. So yeah, we'll see as this move forward. This is definitely a historic moment. This has been historic from, from the beginning of this process. And so, yeah, we'll see what happens and, and what's next. But I haven't watched political TV like this in quite a long time. I know so I'm glued to it. It's been refreshing yes. uh, to kind of get back to that stuff. But it's been also mind-blowing hearing the questions and seeing all the grandstanding that has nothing to do with her job as 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 the jurist will be right as on the supreme court these questions that they're asking her has nothing to do with it right for her as the justice i think it will be a great asset to our country and to the court as a reminder she is replacing justice Breyer. he is remaining on the bench until the end of the court's present term so that's usually in july or or june could possibly be depending on how they finish up their cases their docket so if all goes well judge jackson will assume her seat in october when the new term begins since we are talking about the supreme court justice thomas he has been off the bench for the past couple of days due to an illness and now they're saying that it's not COVID-19 related. Right now they say that he is resting comfortably. The spokesperson, they declined to provide additional details on Monday about his health or the timing of his return. All they said is that he just doesn't have COVID-19. This is interesting being the fact that these justices are now getting up in age. Mm-hmm. And so I believe he is 73, he being Clarence Thomas. Correct. Right behind him is Justice mm-hmm. Alito. I believe he is 71. Mm-hmm. As they are now getting up in age, it's the question whether they are looking to retire and who will replace them as well. I know that Biden had a commitment for a black woman to be on the Supreme Court. And I'm wondering if, say, Justice Thomas were to retire, would he replace him with a black man? Or would he see the opportunity to replace with a Native American woman? Because we did speak about that. A Native American person has never sat on the Supreme Court. So this would be an opportunity to again diversify, but then you lose a black male voice on the bench. So I know, how do we balance that? Well, we know that those two will not retire under a Democratic president unless they're forced to via health reasons, right? Right. Um, And even then, I think they will try to hold out as long as they could. Oh, definitely. But if health does become an issue and push them off, yeah, the question will be if it happened this year. Mm -hmm. Do you have Manchin? Will he play ball with the D's since the Republicans did it? Was it Trump's final year with their confirmation? Right. They said it's fine to do. Apparently then it was fine to do. So, But remember before with, was it Gardner? Right. With his confirmation, they said um, the Republicans at the time said that it was too soon and too close to the election, which is why Barack Obama couldn't get him through the confirmation to put him on the Supreme Court. Right. Well, apparently that was just then and now it's okay because they did it for the, the, I think it was Barrett who was the last one where they rushed through it before the elections were done. So, apparently right but we know that they well we know that they're a party that a lot of times they go back and forth between their ideologies Mm -hmm. so it's a question of which ideology is necessarily convenient for them and i don't think that being the fact that it would be a democratic president nominating someone they will find a way of it not being convenient well and that would be okay because as long as 
And that would be the hard part. If all the D's stick together, it wouldn't matter. They can say what they want to say, how it's inconvenient and this, that, and the third. However, if all the D's stick together, then they can move forward. That's going to be the thing to see what happens this election cycle or, or this year. And if something happens after this year, it will all be based on what does the makeup of the Senate looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, as well, of course, the House uh, for other things. But in particular for this, since the Senate does the confirmations, it will be all about how does the Senate look after November of this year to kind of get a feel of what kind of justice you will get for the Supreme Court if one has to be replaced before the next presidential election or even after that, and depending who's in office. So, Yeah, that's true. Well, also in politics was going on, Mike Braun, he is a Republican from Indiana. He suggested on Tuesday that the legality of interracial marriage, which the court Supreme Court ruled in 1967, was an issue that was best left for individual states to decide. However, hours later, he issued a statement attempting to clarify his remark. He was saying that this should be something where the expression of individual states are able to weigh in on these issues through their own legislation, through their own court system. Quit trying to put the federal government in charge. When he was then asked about the Supreme Court ruling in Loving v. Virginia, which banned states from enacting laws that restricted interracial marriage, he said that when it comes to issues, you can't have it both ways. When you want diversity to shine within our federal system, there are going to be rules and proceedings that are going to be out of sync, maybe with what other states would do. That's the beauty of our system. Mm. Right. He tried to pull the whole, I misunderstood the question, excuse. Right. When the question was plain and simple of, does that include interracial marriage? And he's like, yeah. There was no trick question. There was no gotcha moment. There was no <laughs> anything. It was a straight up simple question. That gotcha moment, right? Nothing. For him to answer. And, he, and truthfully, I, I, I feel like he spoke how he felt. Right. I mean, the way he said that it's going to be a different in each state, especially on the case of Loving v. Virginia, of course, like I said a minute ago, it's a case that banned discrimination on interracial marriage. And to say that states would be different, so you're basically saying it's okay for some states to say it's interracial marriage is illegal versus some states saying illegal, it's illegal, and that's beauty to you yeah. as far as diversity? Yeah. How? It, this is... One of the roles of the Supreme Court is what it was designed for. Right. Interpretation of the law. Right. And so that's their job. Right. They did it. I think, you know, they get so caught up in what they would like to see and have that eh, the truth comes out. It Mm -hmm. slips out from them at times. Right. And I think this is a case of the truth slipping out. It's hard to, when you read the transcript of the question, there was no trick behind it again, right? So it's hard to believe that you misunderstood this question. And they gave the, the, the normal boilerplate apology, excuse, explanation, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. right? I, you know, I'm against discrimination against any race. This is something I condemn. whoop de whoop de whoop de whoop However, when you was asked that simple question, you were okay leaving it up to states to not allow interracial marriages to happen or dating, what have you. So you could theoretically be married in right. Pennsylvania, but you hit Georgia and now they don't recognize it and, and that's no good. And so this is the, what the issue, the issue may be. Using your example, say they went to another state and the, the relationship didn't work out. So then they go to get a divorce. 
Well, if the marriage was re- never recognized in the state, then you're not able to dissolve something that's never recognized. Sure. Or if somebody goes to the hospital, let's not even talk about divorce. If you're in that state and they go to the hospital, the hospital doesn't recognize you being a spouse. So you may not have say in the treatment that they will get because or you may not even be able to visit that person because you are not related. You're not family. You're not that person's, you know, next in line. So you have health issues as well. Will they recognize if you're on somebody's health insurance and it's good in one state? Is it going to be good in this state? Right, because our health insurance companies usually have their headquarters in different states than we reside in. Mm -hmm. We're usually dealing with, you know, satellite offices and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's a great question. The effects of what he's proposing could be detrimental across the country. So the wave of it could be just horrific. I'm glad that people are calling them out on it because it's just, like I said, ridiculous to think that that is the beauty of our country because this goes, this escapes what it, exactly what it means to be, what's the first word of our country? United. <laughs> right. I don't know, but, you know, lawmakers from across the country are proposing uh, different measures intended to provide relief at the pump as record high gas prices hit drivers' pocketbooks. The average price of, of a gallon of gas was over $5 in three states, which was California, Hawaii, and Nevada. Other states, such as Washington, Oregon, Alaska, and Arizona, are inching closer to that same painful price point. With that in mind, lawmakers are looking for ways to help American families that are feeling the pinch. Representatives Mike Thompson of California, John Larson of Connecticut, and Lauren Underwood of Illinois are calling for an energy rebate of $100 per month for individuals or $200 a month for couples with the criteria similar to the standards used for our stimulus checks. Remember during COVID, Mm -hmm. the plan would add $100 for each dependent and would go to families for each month the nation gas price exceeds $4 per gallon. Single filers earning up to $75,000 annually or married couples jointly filed who earn up to $150,000 would be eligible. And the gas rebate would go through the end of 2022. What do you think? So the $100 a month. Mm-hmm. That's just, no, this, and let me just say that this is one of the proposals. Right. It was the most recent one. Sure. Because there's two other, there's other proposals which depend on profits from oil companies because they were talking about receiving a monthly tax credit for families and there were other proposals that are out there. So let me just say that I want to make sure that we're clear. This is not in, at all concrete yet. Of course. Right. It, this is not a bill. It's not been passed. These are all proposals that are out there. Right. And and so this is a conversation that's been going on in California. And the reason why I mentioned the $100 a month mm-hmm. is that any little bit helps. Mm-hmm. Let's start there. And I'm sure folks will be grateful for any kind of help, any kind of assistance. Mm-hmm. Realistically, though, that $100 a month, a tank and a half of gas for, I think, a lot of vehicles probably. Right. Especially... Look, I know my car, if I let it get low for what the gas prices is now, or now, it was like $70. Ooh, so, cool. Getting real at the pump, man. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, the gas prices are going down. They've been going down as of late. But I think if they did it, it would need to be more than 100 Again, every little bit helps. And not ungrateful for assistance that people will get. But you also want to give them something that's realistically going to help them as well, Right. I don't want it to be like you're starving and I give you a corner of bread or a piece of bread and say, look, I did something for you. Here's some bread. Go eat. Right. 
cool. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate the bread. However, it may need to be more. And, and we'll see how that plays out. I know with California and they looked at it. I think it was Cali, if I remember the story right. They One of their proposals was going to be the rebate goes to everybody, whether you got a car or not. Mm-hmm. Which... I'm okay with because they're hurting just the same for the most part for a lot of things as well. So if it helps them, it helps them. If we can do something with this gas rebate to help people pockets, I support it. I think it'll be a great thing. I hope they can figure something out, work it out with what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, let's move this ball forward with helping alleviate the pain families are feeling even decisions some people are having to make now about how and where they go and what they do. Yes. Speaking of feeling the pinch, the government is feeling the pinch as well because they are running out of money for COVID-19 testing, treatment, and vaccines. The White House said on Monday that absent additional funding approval from Congress that they'll be forced to scale back on boosters, domestic testing capabilities, antibody treatments, preventative treatment for immunocompromised individuals, and even sending vaccines out to the rest of the world where they've also needed assistance and are relying on our help. They said also major effects could be seen on research and development of COVID treatments. You know, I think that not only are we feeling the pinch at the pump, we're feeling the pinch up for our health care as well. And Congress, in both situations, we need you to do something. We're feeling that pinch everywhere. I've right. Seen folks even talk about how their rent has been increased. Right. The offer has been $600 Above. increase of rent. Yep. Like, that pinch is everybody getting pinched. Right. Okay. I want to take a break. Let's take a break from politics. <laughs> sure. Is that okay? All right. Well, you sent this story, so I'm going to let you shine on this bad boy because actually I find it out more in this story that I did not know about Pusha T. He has started a fight with McDonald's. Yes. On Arby's side. Right. So if you, everybody knows the jingle, I'm loving it. So that ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Right. Oh, what? He wrote that. Now, Justin Timberlake, I believe, sung it or whatever. Uh Uh-huh. But he pinned that. That's Pusha T. I did Um, not know that. Right. That's been one of the known things. uh, I don't know what the the term is, but it's been, you know, quietly known for a while. Right. That that's that's that. Now part of that is he's saying, you know, he didn't get enough pay for that. Mm. At the time he did get a million dollars to do it. Okay. But he's like they've milked that for all this worth and then some. Like Well, but that has to be again, get an attorney. Sure. Make sure an attorney is there at those meetings because even from an IP perspective, this would have been a definite discussion about transferring those rights, what that looked like as far as monetizing down the line, because that's what we do is value how much that intellectual property would have been worth. Right. But I also don't think nobody saw that jingle going for how many years has this been now? Because, you know, they... But it's McDonald's. Right. And they... Which is why, like, okay, they're going to do something new later on. It's McDonald's. It's 13, 15 years. It's like, okay, you're going to refresh something up. And so, I'm sure they're thinking, cool, just go for a bit. It's McDonald's. They haven't updated their secret sauce yet. What you make sure you think they're going to sit there and, like, change the jingle? their commercials and stuff changes. Like, remember, they used to have little characters, Grimace and the Hamburglar and all them? And they stuck around for a while. It's not like... For a while, but they... I think they saw the jingles. All right, you're you're lavish. Your average lifespan of a jingo is a few years. Cool. Here's a million dollars. We great. Again, that was his fault. Here is 20 years later. They still doing it. So Pusha said, you know what? 
And I don't know where Arby's get their money from, but whatever. Who is eating Arby's? I want you to, y'all let us know. If Arby's. you are eating Arby's, let me know. Because I have never seen a line, like a Chick-fil-A line around there. I have never seen just people that have ever come over to my house. Well, I, I cook, so I'm just saying. I've never had a guest or a friend say, ooh, we got to go get Arby's. Who is eating Arby's like this? Well, Arby's have been buying up businesses too. Because so. don't they own Popeye's? Uh huh. I don't know. Oh my gosh! I think they built, they bought them. It they, had to been maybe they, 2016 or something. They like do that. own Buffalo Wild Wings. Okay. The company that owns Arby's, they own Buffalo Wild Wings. They also got the Dunkin' brands. You know, apparently Arby had money to spend for Dunkin', right? Do they own Burger King? I don't know. Okay, I was wondering. No, they do not own Popeyes, so just want to let you know. Okay, they there you snubbed go. their their deal. I about to say, I remember there was a discussion uh-huh. whether they bought them out, but yeah. yeah. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. So yeah, back to it. I guess they approached Pusher and was like, "Yo, we want you to do this jingle for us." Okay. He did his track, and it really is. It starts off all about McDonald's. It's a di- he even put it out on his, his Twitter account. Just dropped a diss track with Arby's. Grab some popcorn and a spicy fish sandwich. Hashtag Arby Spicy Fish this track. Hashtag Arby's paid me, but I would say this anyway. Says, oh, yeah, because that ad came out in 2003. So, okay. Yeah, he says he felt like he should have had more stake and he wanted to let Arby's know, yo, I'm here to help. This again is an example of why you need to make sure you attend these meetings with the council. He said, I had to get that energy off me, and this ad was the perfect way. He needs to read his contract because I hope he has no non compete agreement in there. Uh, and some of them extend for. A nice amount of time, depending on how much, you know, you were paid. So I'm pretty sure that he's probably read over it. But non-compete agreements mean that he can't go against or disparage the company or he cannot represent a competitor in the same capacity of how he provided services for McDonald's. But I don't know. Well, as he said, he wrote it. The song is currently credited to Tom Batoy, Franco Fatora, Andreas Forberger, and Pharrell Williams. So Mm. if his name ain't on the credits, but he may have written it, they gave him a check. That's a copyright issue. Well, then that's a copyright issue. So they need to, he needs to sue him for that. Either that. Not or, make a diss track. Hey, he's getting more money. So I don't know. I think he had fun doing that. And we'll see if McDonald's responds. The last thing we need is a hip-hop fast food restaurant beef going on. Pun intended. Yeah, I, I don't want to see it. But you know what? You never know nowadays, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, Mark McDonald's, your only response and the best response is just playing the jingle. <laughs> it was only a million dollars. And look how much we love it. You know, moving along. Hey, Deion Sanders, he's back in the news. It's not about his amputated toe this time. He said that he's going to call out the teams that didn't come to Jackson State Football Pro Day on Monday. Right. So on Tuesday, he named each team that didn't attend in an Instagram video. He said 24 teams came to witness our kids yesterday in its entirety. And I appreciate you, but there are 32 teams in this Crayola box. Therefore, the Dolphins, the Broncos, the Texans, the Bills, the Buccaneers, the Ravens, the Panthers, the Browns, the Vikings, and the Eagles. Where art thou? You could have sent somebody, man. You could have shown up just a little bit. He said that he won't forget 
at the teams that didn't show up. I guarantee you that um, you're going to go to Mississippi State and Ole Miss. I guarantee you that you're going to show up there. I understand you're saying that they have more talent. I understand. Guess what? We're coming. We're coming. We're coming. And when we arrive, you better be here because our kids deserve it. Mm, he said what he said. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> He's been doing a lot to change that landscape and get folks to notice HBCU more, the athletes, the programs, the universities. True. And so this is, you know, not a surprise of him doing that and calling them out and saying, look, y'all won't hear. And, huh. and I think it takes that because his pro day wasn't just for Jackson State players. I think Alcorn State had players there and a couple other schools in the area had players come out there for that pro day. So he wasn't just focused on Jackson State with this. It was HBCUs in that general area. So this is that opportunity for them to be seen because if I remember correctly, I don't think none of them got invited to the NFL Combine. Right. If I'm correct. And so they weren't seen there. So this is that opportunity where scouts will be able to see them run the drills. Mm -hmm. I mean, theoretically, the game tape should be enough. Right. However, they want to see these things, these pro days. You do some throws, you run something, they poke and prod you, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, for those who are coming from a smaller school or smaller divisions or, or the schools that aren't getting that same amount of attention, I can understand a pro day to help show them what you can do. And I think that was the purpose, was to have those kids, those students, I should say, uh, those young men show what they can do and that they're ready for that level. And for those teams mm -hmm. that didn't show up, shame on you. Right. Not, not hope you didn't say it with the question mark. I, no. Oh, okay. He said it was a period. I'm sorry. I'm making sure, y'all. That's all I was just checking. I mean, <laughs> even if it was, it's like, is shame on you the least I should say? I should probably say more, but mm. I, I'll FCC. leave it with shame on you. FCC. <laughs> Exactly. But nonetheless, let's take it to some black excellence. We do have two people that we are spotlighting this week. You want to take our first one? We have actor Anthony Mackey. He's from New Orleans. He bought 20 acres to build a production studio in his hometown. So yeah. he's shifted from um, being a trained actor who was actually at the star. You want to uh, take you, this for me? Okay. Oh, I, I got, got it. it. <laughs> yeah. So he actually trained. Turn my mic off. Apparently, I'm not needed. You want to get this? You know what? Mm -mm, it's mine. I, I, didn't, I didn't know if I could pull it up. It wasn't pulling. That's why I was saying you grab it. Okay. But he was trained at the New Orleans Center for Creative Arts. He was recently Captain America and shifted from in front of the camera to behind the camera and produced hit films like The Banker and Outside the Wire. The studio will be located in New Orleans East and he will be in the hope of building up film and television vision production studio as well the land is i guess off of i-10 near the little woods neighborhood mm -hmm. woods hey you know shout yeah. out to wood That's sure um <laughs> yeah it, it's it's good to see him bringing that to new orleans i, I thought it was interesting the actor what is his name window oh yes um yes because he plays like dad, uh, like the father figure a lot. Right. He's um, from New Orleans as well. Wendell Pierce. There you go. I was right. In my head, I was thinking Pierce. He had put out a tweet congratulating Mackie on, on, on doing that. Mm -hmm. But he highlighted there was a difference with it, though, where he was trying to bring a grocery store to New Orleans. Oh. And the mayor at that time, according to Window, went to the bank and had them stop it. So mm -hmm. he couldn't bring a grocery store. And the current mayor, which is a different one, is helping and welcoming the movie studio. So mm -hmm. it is 
a great thing. It's going to be an opportunity to bring jobs and, and keep some of the talent they have in New Orleans there. I know, I think one of the city council members are talking about they they want to be Hollywood South. I think they have to compete with Atlanta for that title because Georgia kind of has that on lock at the moment. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be great boost for the economy, great boost for the people there. Once again, with creating jobs and just, you know, even actors in Texas can probably benefit from it because New Orleans is closer than Georgia. That's true. And so there will be opportunity for a lot of the actors who are trying to make it or are making it or are doing things here a little closer for you to go. Right. And then another person that we are highlighting today is Takesha Clark. She is the first black woman to own a postal franchise. She recently started an, her business out in California and actually opened the second location in Long Beach. She recently did an interview with Black Enterprise and she was saying that, hey, she was inspired to get into this area because of some work that she did with a nonprofit. She understood that some of the trials and tribulations of seeing victims of drug and child abuse and she just wanted to really rise above and create opportunities for them then also be able to provide the services within her community so kudos to her good job yes so guess what guys well i guess yawn <laughs> i thought you were going to answer for me like you right? did with the other story though oh ouch yeah ouch. I know. you know i i'm sorry no, i i just really no. was just no, no, no. I couldn't open up the tab. I was like, look, mm-hmm. I'm going to get to this story. Mm-mm. And it nope. would not open. That's what. That's exactly what my tab was saying. Mm-mm. Nah. Mm-mm. Nah. But, right. But nonetheless, it's the end of the show for today. Of course, you can catch our full episodes online on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts. Mm-hmm. I know I'm forgetting a lot. But nonetheless, you can find us on very on pr- pretty much all your podcast platforms. Type in The Grapevine Talk. You'll see our beautiful logo. Go ahead and check out our recent shows from last week and the week before. But we will check in with you next week. Got any parting words, Jan? Yeah, they can follow us on social media. Right. The Grapevine Talk. That's who we are on Instagram and Facebook and The Grapevine ATX on Twitter. There you go. See, I can come in every once in a while and that it'd be an asset to the conversation. Yeah, when you let me come in. Ouch. I let you in, you forget. Right. Mm, Back to the bench you go. All right. Right. I didn't get a a chance to shout them out, but shout out to the Pantherland, PVAMU. All right. Check y'all next week. It's so it's too early to yawn, yawn. <laughs> sorry. We'll check the, y'all next week. The Eagle this Nation is... thing just took it all out of me. I'm sorry, my bad. I... Whatever. So again, go ahead, them Aggies. Whatever. This is the Grapevine on KAZI 88.7 FM. Talk to y'all next week.